The Mustard Tavern Keepers History of the Old World. schools of thoughts on it. Some people say you should try and say it like the people who live there say it, whereas others say just pronounce it as people where you're from say it. I couldn't say that one is right and the other is wrong, but yes, the locals do say Tilia, whereas us Western Empire types do pronounce it Tylia. I would say that what is important is that you're understood, irrespective of the idiosyncrasies of your speech. Yeah, yeah, I shall persist in using Tylia's end. Oh, young neophyte, you've returned. We were just chatting about pronunciation. Some people get very uppity with regards to this, rigidly laying down rules about all and sundry. This is right, that is wrong, as if it all truly matters. Dealing in absolutes like this will lead you down dark paths faster than a dose of Nurgle's rot. Life is one big spectrum of variance, and all the richer because of it. A flexible and understanding mind, both this and many other things, will bring you a much happier life. I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, off the soapbox for me. Everyone, please return to your places. And Heinrich, if you'd be good enough to return to the tale of Marco Colombo, we'd be greatly appreciative. You just got us to the point where the uh, Tilian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or should that be Tylian? Who knows? Had purchased three Skaven. What happened next? Yeah, yeah. Now, they were able to secure the skavens that Marco needed from the Agom of, of Mariagliano, as I explained earlier, but that is not the end of it. There was a caveat. The Visconti's son Giovanni, a malicious sadist, much like his father, was really getting on his father's nerves. He had been in charge of some of the ships that had been secretly transporting Skaven he'd captured around the old world to other fighting pits using the Visconti's small fleet of mercantile vessels. But Giovanni had driven every crew that had ever worked under him to the brink of mutiny. And his father had been forced to forbid him from taking command of any more of his vessels. Even a single mutiny incurs a substantial loss of revenue for the owner of the ship, don't you know? So, Giovanni was now stuck at home, 
both frustrated and frustrating. Giacomo only allowed Marco to buy the skaven he wanted if he agreed to take his son with him on his expedition to Lustria. Colombo had no choice but to submit to Giacomo's wishes if he wanted to go through with his cunning plan. Once Marco and my grandpapa had returned to Remus, they were eager to set off, but a great many of the crew were originally from the Empire and refused to depart on such an arduous journey until after the spring festival of Mittefrel. Ah, most sensible indeed. But I doubt you neophytes are aware of this festival. Am I correct? Ah, I thought so. Mittefrel, or the Spring Equinox as it's called here in Tylea, is an important point in the year for the Empire. It is when we sacrifice one of the firstborn lambs of the season to the gods Tal and Raya. However, not only this, it is of great importance to sailors too, as Manan, the god of the sea, also receives a sacrifice, so that he might quiet the oceans and refrain from drowning the land with flooding rivers. Sailors are a superstitious lot, and, as a former seaman myself, I can say this with a great deal of authority. But, it's very understandable. When your lives are ruled by such a capricious mistress as the sea, you'd be superstitious too. Anyway, Heinrich, please continue. Yeah, yeah, well, with Mitterfeld done and dusted, the three ships finally set sail. Marco commanded the lead vessel, La Mermidia, leaving La Mercopio under the stern gaze of my grandpapa, whilst the third ship, La Sirena, was placed into the cruel hands of Giovanni. However, there was a strategy behind this apparent insanity of putting Giovanni in charge of a ship once more. The men Marco had been able to hire from the Condotteri had been a mixed barrel and there were some very bad apples in amongst the more able-bodied seamen. After spending some time with the men, my grandpapa was able to sort out the troublemakers from those who were more reliable and Marco made sure that the former ended up under Giovanni's command. The idea was that either he would break them, or they would break him. Marco did not mind which happened, but although this precarious balancing act worked for most of the voyage, it's a decision that would come back to bite Marco in his uh, Netherlands once he was in Lustria. The ships initially sailed south along the bay of Remas and the coastline of Verezo, always keeping land in sight before finally heading into the slightly deeper waters of the Tylean Sea between Lucini and the island of Sartosa. At that time, the island was still held by the Arabians, who had terrorized the waters there for over 250 uh, years. Ah yes, of course. This was before the liberation of the island by Luciano Catena from the Arabian pirates, or corsairs as they're also known. 
Just over 60 years ago now, back in uh, 1501. Yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, Marco was not attempting to slip past the fleets of the island. He was heading straight for it, as he had an important uh, person to see there, and an important item to procure. Oh, ciao! Oh, Heinrich, are you all right? You seem to be struggling. Do you need to relieve yourself? Yeah, yeah, Master Tavern Keeper, you are most observant. Excuse me, I shall return as soon as I can. No rush, my friend. This here drink from Albion is potent stuff indeed, and it does go through one like a harpoon through blubber. We'll be waiting. I shall expand upon the history of Sartosa in the interim. Please take your time. Perhaps we shouldn't ply him with any more of Cedric's alchemical grog. It seems to be having some untoward effects. Apprentice Morelli, I have need of your strength. Please, could you race downstairs to the main bar and grab one of the kegs in the far corner? One of the ones marked with the big triple X. It's his favourite ale. I hope that will settle his innards. Oh, and uh, enough goblets for us all, too. Thank you. Right then, as we have some time, let me just give you some background on Sartosa, as that is where our story appears to be heading next. It's been a few years since I visited the island, but I don't think it's changed much since then. Ah, Apprentice Morelli, that was fast. Set it down by the window, please. So, as I was about to say, as you approach Sartosa by sea, you cannot help but notice that this large island has a very rocky coastline, dominated by bright limestone cliffs that are riddled with caves and tunnels. There are a small number of beaches and shoals dotted around, but they are few and far between, and most are very difficult to access. The smallest cliffs are easily as tall as the main mast of most ships, but the largest are hundreds of feet high, and this intimidating perimeter has been a thorn in the side of invaders. However, it has not been enough to prevent the island from being conquered a number of times. The interior of the island is as rugged as its coast, listed as it is with basalt crags and mountains. Lonely valleys filled with rocks and boulders, and treacherous stone-littered forests. It does still have tracts of workable land, but the work of farming in Sartosa is hard graft. That said, there are many small holdings that grow olives, wheat and grapes, especially the latter, as wine is exceedingly popular with the latest conquerors of the island hailing as they do from the principality of neighbouring Lucini. More on these in a little while. The other main produce of the island comes from the waters that surround it. They overflow with fish of many kinds, squid, oysters, clams and shellfish. With the uphill struggle faced by traditional agriculture on the island, the bounty from the sea is the primary food source for those that live there. But that's not all. Additionally, the shallow waters of the northwest are lined with pearl beds. 
These are one of the main exports, and they pay for the imports from the Principality of Lucini. Right then, I'd like to finish now with a summary of a history of the island up to the present day. Now, Sartosa was created by the great volcano called Mount Ertinia that can be found in the northeastern corner of the island. An elven scholar of my acquaintance informed me that thousands of years ago this volcano must have started life deep underwater but had vomited forth so many tons upon tons of lava that it grew up out of the depths and became the island of Sartosa. He pointed out to me that the cliffs are of the same rock as the seabed, limestone, but also went on to explain that the interior of the island was basalt, which is the name they give to cooled lava. So the volcano must have burst forth from under the sea and dragged the surrounding seabed with it as it ascended up to the surface, all the while spewing its fiery guts all over the land or something like that. The elf became very animated as he was explaining and it was kind of hard to follow. An old Sartosan myth also adds credence to the elf's words, to my mind at least. It claims that the island was created when a young sailor lost at sea, adrift after his ship had sunk, pleaded to all the gods to save him in exchange for his eternal service. As you'd expect, none responded until Ranald the trickster heard his cries and obliged him by raising up an island from the waters with an explosive eruption of fiery hell-born blood. As you can imagine, this angered the god Manan, lord of the oceans. So, to stave off the wrath of the underwater god, Ranald bade his sailor honour both he and Manan with offerings of riches and gold. Thus, the sailor took up piracy to pay his dues and became known as the most notorious pirate of all, Jack of the Sea. There are plenty of stories about old Jack, but let's leave them for another day. There is an ancient statue of Jack out in the bay of the city of Sartosa itself, so perhaps it is not merely a myth. Either way, Mount Ertinia now sleeps apart from the occasional plumes of steam and downpours of ash, that is. Anyway, the exposed position of the island, jutting out off the coast of the mainland, means it is constantly buffeted by trade winds, sweeping in from the west and creating swift currents ideal for seafaring. The elves, in ancient times, recognised this advantageous geography and set up a colony there. However, much like Tabaro here, it was abandoned at the end of the war with the dwarves some 3,000 years ago. A few hundred years later, it looks like the first Tyleans, descendants of refugees from the city of lost Kavzar, perhaps, settled the island. It was certainly these men that eventually, after a few hundred years of living there, uh, built the first city of Sartosa on the cliff face on the north coast using the ruins of the elven structures left behind for its foundations. And they may have been the ones who built the old statue of Jack of the Seas too. Unfortunately, this first human civilization was all but scoured from the island, and the city they built razed to the ground 
by a combination of raiding Dark Elves and the fleets of Setra back during the 5th century. Not long after that, the Great Orc invasions began that would plague the rest of the peninsula for the next 500 years, until the Greenskins were eventually driven back by the surviving city-states in the 10th century. Neighbouring Lucini now had a presence on the island of Sartosa and nominal control over the few surviving farmers that had not been dragged off to Nagaroth as slaves. After this dark age, Sartosa once more became more densely colonised, but not by native Tylean sons, no. It was the Norsemen from the Great Wasteland that came. They swept aside the garrison of soldiers of Lucini and took control of the island, using it as a base to raid and pillage the towns and cities on the Tylean Sea. However, this came to a head when their fleets were engaged by the ships of Lucini at Capuccino, on the southern tip of the peninsula to the east of Sartosa. The Norse were defeated, but rather than destroying them, they were spared and became mercenaries for the princes of Lucini and allowed to settle on the island. However, this state of affairs ended in 1240 when the notorious Arabian corsair Nafal Muk led an invading fleet of Daos and easily took the island. Here, they established themselves and were a threat throughout the Tylean Sea for the next 250 years. Many fleet battles were fought between the Tylean city-states and the Arabians of Sartosa, but none could defeat the invaders. Control of Sartosa also had the benefit of giving the Arabian cities on the northern coast of the Southlands a lot of breathing room, and during this time they grew in power and flourished. It was towards the end of this period that our Marco Colombo visited the island. But just to bring things up to the present day, let us finish by looking at events in our own century. In 1501, the Prince of Lucini, Luciano Catena, assembled an armada to carry his mercenary army to the island of Sartosa itself, engaging the Arabian fleet of the Emir Abd al-Wazak in its own docks. They quickly covered the 50 miles of sea between the mainland and the city of Sartosa itself, and a ferocious sea battle ensued. The disadvantaged Arabians were eventually driven back into the city and then besieged until a surrender was negotiated. Prince Luciano allowed the Emir to flee to Araby in return for all of his treasure. Much of it looted from across Tylea, to be honest though. The remaining Arabian Corsairs and even Al-Wazak's fanatical bodyguard Harim were then recruited by Luciano and Sartosa became the base for his mercenary fleet. Since that time, some 60 years ago now, the Principality of Sartosa has had stability and its wealth has grown. But the current prince, Luca, is not the man his father was and he has had to put down a couple of revolts on the island against his lazy management, or should that be mismanagement, of Sartosa.
As to whether anything will come of this kind of civil unrest in the future is anyone's guess. But I'd wager that the anarchic spirit of Jack of the Sea is apparently baked into the island itself. And such a thing is hard to repress. Anyway, my throat is dry. Let's break open this keg. Doesn't look like Heinrich is going to return to us anytime soon. I think it best if we take another break, young neophyte. Help yourself to some ale, and I'll go and see what's happened to Heinrich. Hopefully, he's not got himself kidnapped by Skaven again. Ciao for now. <laughs>